Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, episode 95. My name oh. is Max Terman. I'm just here so I don't get fined. And with me this week is Minnesota Vikings linebacker, Daniel Rye. Let's go, Vikes! Go. Dallas Cowboys punter, Scott Reed. Them boys. You got a lot of punting to do with that team. <laughs> <laughs> and Cleveland Browns mascot, Bill Muffin Cow. Yes, doing flips all over the place. <laughs> uh, Bill, will you pray for us? Yeah. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. The joy of being here together. We pray your spirit fills us and that we say something that really is uplifting to people, that touches them in their spirit. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Scott, when you, uh, can you go ahead and straighten out your microphone and uh, get us started with some would-you-rathers? Okay, it may be a minute. Daniel, I need you to fill this time. Fill this time? Yeah. I love feeling, filling time. It's actually one of my favorite things to do. Really? You just If somebody asks me, I can just keep on going and filling time with just random stuff. Sometimes I'll just start talking about tulips. Sometimes I'll talk about the Bible. Those times are usually more edifying than just talking about how much I hate tulips. <laughs> Why do you hate tulips? I forget. Um, I don't know. It just chose today that I hate tulips. Mm. Fun. It chose today. Yeah. Fun story about tulips that I learned from the book God Smuggler. During World War II uh, in Holland, people dug up tulips and ate them like potatoes. Because well. the food shortage. And also in Holland... There was some tulip that sold for like five hundred thousand dollars. It Whoa. was a tulip bulb. Yeah, they were just into it so much. It's, now that's a potato. They use it as an example of how, yeah, whatever the base of your economy is, if you're going to make tulips your base, how crazy it can get. Yes, tulips a very famous bubble, a very famous economics bubble story of okay. everybody getting riled up about tulips and pushing the price higher and higher, and then realizing like, oh. This is meaningless. Uh, or the, the base of the tulip-based economy is too shaky to build uh, your entire country on. So we had something like that happen this week. Yeah. Michael Jordan's first NBA game, somebody had an unused ticket of that game, and they've Whoa. kept it all these years. And it sold at auction for $500,000. Whoa. And you think, what, what, what do you want with that? What yeah. are you going to do with that? Why did you buy that, Scott? <laughs> We're sell it for five hundred one thousand oh, dollars. Now that's business. I think we should. This is our first podcast since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, so now that I think about it, before you get into what you rather, um, I think we should take a minute and, and pause and, and pray um, just for the people. Uh, in Ukraine being invaded by uh, by Russian forces. Um, and also, um, there are some stories out there that uh, a lot of Russian forces uh, are there against their will, um, that they don't want to be invading, that they don't want to be fighting. Um, and uh, so uh, a friend of mine whose family is all in Romania was talking about uh, some Romanians trying to get together like a propaganda campaign for Russian soldiers of like, if you want to defect, like, we'll take you. Um, cause a lot of them are, are reportedly like they're against their will. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, Bill, would you mind leading us in prayer and we can all go around and just say a short prayer for, for the situation and for the Ukrainian people. Yeah. Lord, we know that your eye is on Russia invading Ukraine. You love both peoples. There's not a person you don't love for you died on the cross for all of them. 
And we look at this and say, what a mess. We pray your intervention. We pray that you do something so great from this that we all say, now only God could come up with that as a solution. We pray for people to come to Christ through this, that there'd be a revival that would break out. Mm. We think of those poor Ukrainian people who've been separated from one another and now are starting to run out of goods. Lord, we pray that they have a sense that God is my provider, that they would hold to that truth. And if they don't know you, that this is how they come to know you. We just lay this appeal at your feet. Amen. Dear Lord, I pray for um, peace in this situation. Uh, Lord, you promise uh, on a personal level the peace that passes understanding. And um, certainly in, in global conflicts, any peace in some ways passes understanding. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for your peace um, in the midst of the situation. And we pray, uh, Lord, for the church, both in Ukraine and in Russia, Lord, to rise up as a, a voice of hope and mercy and love. Um, Lord, I, I don't know exactly the best ways that they can do that um, on, on both sides, but I know, Lord, that you can use this situation to really shine your light forth in a very dark um, time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would. I pray, Lord, that people would see your gospel light in your church, uh, that they would be flocking to it uh, as the world around them doesn't make much sense. May they find sense in you. Lord, I want to pray for pray for those um, family members who are in the states or other countries who are afar and not with their family that they have back in Ukraine. Um, that separation right now, I'm sure, feels really rough and it's really scary. I pray for peace for them. Um, I also want to pray that you just continue to work in Ukraine. Um, heard some crazy and amazing stories of what you're doing there and i pray that you just continue to do that so that it's undeniable that your hand um, is working in this in this situation Mm -hmm. Ah, jesus i pray um just for the people your people your uh, children who fight uh, one another and for the evil that is in all of us lord um I pray that you'd protect, um, above all, Lord, protect those who don't know you so they may have a chance uh, to find out who you are. And as Bill said, um, that this would be the chance for your glory to shine through into people's lives, for your glory to become self-evident in in their eyes. And uh, for Russians and Ukrainians to turn to you, I pray um, that the unrest that's taking place in Russia over this invasion um, would produce good and would produce uh, chances for ju- justice and truth and and peace and mercy, uh, and that the Ukrainians would have an opportunity um, to turn to you as their source of uh, of comfort, as their source of energy, as their source of purpose, um, and that uh, somehow we also uh, can further your kingdom uh, by. Uh, by what's happening there. And I thank you for the promise that if we join in your suffering, uh, we inherit your kingdom as well. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, Scott, do your best, very smooth transition from that topic into Would You Rathers. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Well, 
We can also go back to Daniel talking about tulips. <laughs> Let's do that for like 10 seconds. Yeah, Daniel, give me your best shot. Tulips are flowers. All right. <laughs> there you go. Bill, do you know what the what all the the acronym, the tulip acronym is for? Oh, I do. You know all of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it? Okay. Like, yeah, you should. You're raised Presbyterian. I was raised Presbyterian. So it's uh, uh, T is for total depravity. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do an order, I guess. Why? I'll do it. I'll do a reverse. There's only five of them. I'm try- I don't remember you off the top oh, of my head. Okay. So uh, T is total depravity. P is perseverance of the saints. Do you want me to explain what they are? No. So far, you said the two that I remembered. Oh, great. So I'd like uh, more. I is irresistible grace. Mm. Um, L yeah. is limited atonement. Um, unconditional election is you. There you go. I couldn't. Which means it's you. up to the God. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we don't. The the CMA does not believe in in Calvinist. Tulip theology, is that correct? There's no stance taken. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? There are Arminians in the CMA, there are Calvinists. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. B- Bill, are you an Arminian? No, but I'm not a five point Calvinist either. That mm-hmm. I really get stuck on limited atonement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How so? So, can you explain what limited atonement is? Well,. <laughs> The crass way of saying it is Christ did not die on a cross for everybody. Mm. He died for the called, the elect, the predestined. And if you're not in that group, you don't have a prayer. Mm. So I, I just find that very hard to take because you never find God turning down somebody seeking him. Mm-hmm. And the Calvinists would say, well, the reason why they seek him is because of convenient grace, and he's, yeah. he's calling them. Thinking, mm-hmm. Okay, your system, it looks good until you read the whole Bible. And then, <laughs> then you find verses that just don't match up with it real well. Huh. And, and honestly, they're just paradoxical verses. You, you can make a case for Calvinism out of the Bible very quickly, but mm-hmm. you can also make a case for Arminianism out of the Bible. Hmm. So that, and I went to two different schools. Malone was Arminian, and Trinity was more Calvinist. Not, it wasn't a five-point Calvinist place, but it was more. So you, I got to compare the two, and I think most all of us in the world just fall into the category of we see the the truth in both of them, but we're not convinced a hundred percent by just one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite stories I heard from a professor at Crown um, about this debate was a quote from a Calvinist. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody was interviewing him after a debate between an Arminian and there's like, do you think you'll see this person in heaven? And the Calvinist says, no, I don't think I'll see this person in heaven because I'll be so close to the foot of the of Jesus's throne that I won't be able to see him at all. <laughs> so that was like it's like a a little heartwarming reminder that it's an it's an it's a valuable debate, but it's wow. not the ultimate debate to have. I do like that. I like the it doesn't doesn't quite matter. I, uh, one of my questions that I've always had about like predestination and and limited atonement and is this idea that you know if god is sovereign and if god god does know everything so he knows who will be saved right i believe he does yeah so 
does it matter? Like that's the, the idea of whether you're called or not seems like a very limited temporal view of of like people being saved since God sees everything and sees the future. Like you could just, you know, ex post facto say like, okay, well that person was saved because they were called and that person was saved because they, because they weren't. And that seems fine. Or you could say that there's no such thing as, you know, like it, if it all comes out in the wash in the end, why does it matter if the reason that you're able to be saved is because of your personal choice or because you were chosen? I think the part about being chosen, what concerns everybody is if there's the chosen and there's those who have not been chosen, why is God holding it against those who have not been chosen? Why is he sending them to hell? Hmm. I, I've read Calvin's uh, Institutes. Hmm. There were times when I was reading, I just thought, this guy is just a monster. You know, hmm. his view of God is monstrous. How can you think this stuff? And that stayed with me, that there were some pages where I just shook my head and said, if this is God, yuck. Hmm. You know? And yet there are other people, I think one man that I admire greatly, he's in heaven today, is D. James Kennedy. He's the founder of Evangelism Explosion. Okay. But he was a five-point Presbyterian. Spurgeon was a five-point uh, Calvinist. Mm -hmm. They... They aren't bothered by that for some reason, what, hmm. what I'm bothered with. they, And I just appeal to, they're a lot smarter than me. They're seeing something I'm not seeing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I part of part of the importance of the debate for, for on the Calvinistic side, I think it's because the view of, or the thought of Jesus's blood being, like, being wasted, like, hmm. not mm -hmm. like... He was, he paid the price. So then like it's paying a price for somebody who's not going to heaven and that's like wasting mm. his, his blood. So I think that's like mm -hmm. his sacrifice. So I think that's, that's one thing that I've heard people argue of why, like that's really important mm. to talk through and figure out. So I think. Yeah. I, I heard something on that same vein Okay, that it's, as though he failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. well, he died for you and you weren't saved. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't put it on him as the failure, but but that is one way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Scott, were you raised in a Calvinist or non-Calvinist church? What's, what's South Shore Baptist? I think it's more, leans more towards Calvinism. But I don't know if they have like an official stance. I think it maybe depends a little bit more. Maybe they do. I don't know. It didn't, it wasn't like a huge issue either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually the Baptists are more into dispensationalism. Sure. So, which is? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Unless anybody else wants to, to define dispensationalism. Well, there's all these dispensations that are identified in the Bible, and they look at that and just say these are the periods of time. And What's a dispensation? Oh, like, maybe I need Scott to help me here. A dispensation can be, <laughs> like, we are in the dis dispensation of the church age. Okay, 
I, I think everybody agrees with that. that that's okay. A, that's fine. It's what you do with these dispensations. So then oftentimes, since we're not in the apostolic dispensation, mm. then the gifts of God are no longer in force. Oh, I don't even think every dispensationalist believes that anymore. So hmm. it's interesting how things have changed just in my lifetime. This business of cessationism is what it's known as, where the gifts have ended with the apostles, the demonstrative gifts, things like prophecy and tongues, mm-hmm. that those ended when they died. That was a big deal 40 years ago. Now the charismatics have just really had such a huge influence mm-hmm. on the worldwide church, mainly through their music and, and their sheer numbers. Um, did you know that 500 million Christians are identified as charismatic? 500 million? Yes, worldwide. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it's probably even higher than that because there's large numbers of Catholics that are charismatic and it... it it's sheer numbers have really influenced the oh. theology. No, we're not charismatic. Yeah, the, we are. Oh, we are. We are charismatic. Because we, because we believe in the gifts being active today. Mm-hmm. We're not charismatic oh. if you think in terms of, well, we're not speaking in tongues during the services. Right. All right. But you don't have to have that in order to be a charismatic church. Huh. Any thoughts on everything that just happened before we get into... Would you rather? <laughs> this is probably the deepest into a show we've been. It's good, before good we thing get... you've got editing rights. <laughs> hey, I'm leaving that in. I liked it. Still not 100% sure what dispensation means, but that's okay. Scott. All right. Please uh, start the show as we always do <laughs> with Would You Rather. Okay, we're going to do Mix and Match again. Nice. That's fun. All right. <laughs> Let's go around the table. Bring it. One at a time. Daniel, would you would you rather wake up at 3 a.m. from an anxiety attack mm-hmm. or after using the bathroom have to use dry newspaper as toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I think dry newspaper as toilet paper. Sure. Like, sure. Because waking up at 3 a.m., like, I just finally got to the point where I'm back in a normal sleeping habit. Good for you. I don't want to go back Congratulations. To, to that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to mention, if you get married, now you're probably waking up the other person. Yeah, this is true. True. I assume. Bill, is that true? If one of you wakes up with an anxiety attack, does it usually wake up the other? I don't think either of us have ever had an anxiety attack, so I don't know. Huh. Scott? <laughs> um, I don't think that either of us have had an anxiety attack in the middle of the night but it did depends on whether on if if something will wake up the other person sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't hmm. sometimes you need to wake them up man mm-hmm. the more you know i already snore <laughs> <laughs> no one's sleeping <laughs> i mean sometimes people can hear it downstairs i mean i could always hear i could hear you from from my room for sure yeah <laughs> all right on a similar vein yeah max would you rather run out of toilet paper in a public restroom yeah. Or have vile, smelly, unpredictable belches. Uh, the first one. 
<laughs> easily, easily the first one. I'd rather uh, never have toilet paper in a public restroom than always have uncontrollable smelly belches. Okay. Full stop. Full stop. That's Bill, a max term. Would you promise. rather lose the big game because of a bad call by the officials? Now, is that the Super Bowl? It just says big game. Shoot. Okay. Quotation marks. I hate when companies say the big game. <laughs> I know. You do. I think I've got, I get on the soapbox every year on this podcast <laughs> yeah. and I'll, I'll do it again. That's just the <laughs> stupidest thing. But the big game for me would have been Nicole's U11 soccer game. I, I cared what? more about that than I did this. Who won the Super Bowl? Wow. Nice. So would you rather lose Nicole's U11 <laughs> soccer game because of a bad call by the officials? Ooh. Or. Have a career writing for a popular teen heartthrob magazine <laughs> that specializes in boy bands. <laughs> Man, wow. he's conflicted. <laughs> I, I, I'll take the soccer game loss because it's only wow. one event, whereas that other is your lifetime Bill, that's, career. Good I, I will say we did that question as a Toastmasters, and I think you were the one who made the point that uh, you know that's a real opportunity to to save some young souls. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I I do remember that. Wow. All right. And would I rather get free gas for my car for the next five years or always have the right thing to say but frequently look terrible? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll take the free gas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. I can't can't believe you you take the free gas. Hey. (laughs) 429 a gallon. It's time oh to take goodness. it. <laughs> now is the best time to freak out. But think about all the good, the perfect things you could say to people in their time of need. <laughs> I guess now you could say, Do you want some free gas? <laughs> <laughs> Only for the next five years. <laughs> Talk to me. Yeah. Come see me oh, about free does gas. Does gas go bad? Because you could just. Gas does up. go bad. Uh, it does go bad after like a month. Really? That mm-hmm. fast? Which is interesting. They have these cars now that are like hybrid plug-in and gas, right? So not like a hybrid like a Prius, but its own thing. And uh, their gas tanks are under pressure. They're vacuum tanks mm. because uh, otherwise you don't want oxygen getting into your gasoline, supposedly, is mm. what I read. You so, know, oh. I'm thinking about my lawnmower gas, which is just regular gas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have that sometimes all summer long. It still works. That's true. But, I mean, I don't know how healthy or sophisticated your lawnmower engine is. Oh, it's sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, would you give us a number between one and a thousand and one? Um, no. 400. <laughs> Just 400 flat. 400 flat. Daniel, what book am I about to read to the listeners? You're reading from... Ephesians. A thousand and one questions. Oof. You... <laughs> You've already made one mistake, but that's okay. Don't oof him while he's in mid-sentence. <laughs> a thousand... Yep. Questions about the Bible. <laughs> Bill, help him out. like a thousand and one things to know. 
That's not right either. Things you always wanted to know about the Bible, but we're too This comes to us, of course, from a thousand and one things you always wanted to know about the Bible, but never thought to ask my man spinning in his Jay grave. J. Stephen Lang. J. Stephen Lang. Uh, number I don't know why that was so funny. Number 400 <laughs> comes from the section, Some Other Highlights. I love that, that we're, we're not even halfway done, and it's like, here's some other stuff. <laughs> It's like everything else is going to be miscellaneous from this point on. Number 400, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus criticized the Pharisees not for being righteous. That's good. Jesus criticized the Pharisees not for being righteous, but for being proud and hypocritical. One of his best-known parables is found in Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. Two men prayed in the temple. The Pharisee... Pharisee's prayer was self-congratulation. God, quote, I thank you that I am not like other men, end quote. The tax collector, aware of his sins, as well as being despised by other Jews, could only say, quote, God, be merciful on me, a sinner, end quote. Jesus explained that the tax collector, not the Pharisee, was justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We've talked before on this show about there's someone semi-famous who like did like a thing where they all, all they prayed was God have mercy on me a sinner um, like over and over and over again. And that was like their, their thing. And I, uh, a friend of mine was, was really into that in, in college. Um, and I remember him talking about, um, you know, why does prayer need to be more sophisticated than that? <clears throat> um, but anybody have any thoughts on <laughs> this parable? <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of prayer you can just keep praying all day long, day after day. That that does sound hmm. wrong, but it is a prayer we should all pray in our life, and it could even come up once a day hmm. as part of our confession time. But if that's all you prayed was just beat your breast and, and pray that over and over again, it's it's like, well, wait a minute, haven't you experienced any of God's mercy yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of gets into uh, something that that um, you've talked about before uh, about Paul, and I, I asked the question I think a, a couple months ago about whether you thought Paul still felt, you know, a resounding guilt for, you know, what he did as Saul, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the persecution and the murder of, of believers. Um, and your point was a resounding, like, no, like it, it, he shouldn't have this guilt, like still dogging him if he's really embraced God's mercy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you say that is? Well, the power of God's mercy and his cleansing power are great. Mm-hmm. I really don't think Paul just wallowed in self-abnegation. I I think he did get past it because of God's help. Hmm. Are we called to forgive ourselves? You know, the Bible doesn't talk at all about forgiving ourselves. Hmm. That when we really experience the forgiveness of God, that comes with it. Hmm. And then if we don't allow that... If we say, well, I know God forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. It's like, oh, so you know better than God. Hmm. You've got a better plan than God. Yeah. Um, this past, 
actually yes last night our we have like a small group discipleship thing for the teen guys on Tuesday nights and we're going through a Lent devotional that CT uh, Christianity Today put out and um, it's based on different hymns and this last one was um, I can't remember what it was called so it didn't really stick with me I guess but um, the discussion was centered around um, Galatians um, 6 14 Hmm. which is but as for me I will never boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ Hmm. and that just like came to mind for me like all these like just in general like the Pharisees like trying to boast in themselves and stuff like that but now we're called to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ and that's like I don't know how many times I I boast in the cross right I, I, I probably like boast in like salvation and like Jesus raising from the dead uh, which is part of the cross but yeah I think that's that's the important part mm-hmm. of it and then like if our prayers are if our prayers are centered around boasting in ourselves and all that we do mm-hmm. then then I think that's the line if our prayers is boasting in the cross of Christ I think that's like what what this parable reminds me to do mm. and I think that interacts really well with what Bill's saying about you know, not trying to tell God, like you don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worse than you think I am is, um, cause in a way that is boasting that is saying like, I, you know, I think the person, and I struggle with this. I think the person who refuses to forgive themselves because they don't, you know, they don't think that on some level it's like God has forgiven me, but it's not, mm-hmm. you know, not enough to take away my, my, my guilt. Um, is the same person that when things go really well, you say like, God really helped me do that. And I did it with God's help. Not, you know, Jesus did this through me or the Holy spirit spoke for me or, um, you know, these ideas were, were given to me for God's purposes as a tool for, for his glory. Um, and I think living on that sort of teeter totter is what can really drive you crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. and it can, and and also, like, the more you seesaw back and forth, the more you start to slide more and more to the extremes um, where, you know, boasting in, in the cross and, and giving all glory and all, you know, needs to the Holy Spirit, like, becomes more and more of an absurd concept to you as you fly back and forth between, you know, feeling full permanent guilt and responsibility for what you've done and also full glory and uh, acceptance of what you, you know, of of how you've succeeded. Um, Any other thoughts before we move on? Well, let's get into topic of the week. Topic of the week this week, we are jumping into something that we uh, wanted to to do uh, for the last couple of weeks is talk about the Apostles' Creed. And this kind of came out of um, a conversation that we had uh, about um, Christian scientists of all things, um, but also just the importance of how we define our relationship with God, how we define who he is. Well, we don't define who God is, but how we define to one another, the truth, um, about Jesus, about, uh, what implication that has on us and our own lives and our own place, uh, in God's plan. Um, so, uh, Daniel, you've got, um, the Apostles' Creed in front mm-hmm. of you. Would you read through the whole thing for us? 
Yes. <clears throat> Glad to. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Mm. Amen. 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 Um, so my understanding of the Apostles' Creed is that it dates back at least to like the 5th century um, as a, a concise way and a shorter way, a shorter version of some other creeds um, to uh, really sort of succinctly but clearly express the beliefs of the Christian faith. So what I want to talk about, uh, and, and Daniel, I think you're up first, is break down, uh, you know, this creed really targets the three different persons um, of God, God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about the specificity of language that gets used here, um, mm-hmm. because as I, as I think we've seen before, and I think we'll see talking about the creed, uh, it is uh, what you leave unsaid is almost as important as what you leave said, uh, and, and clearly defining um, who we believe God to be and who we believe God not to be mm-hmm. is very important. Um, so where do you see that specificity crop up in the description of God the Father, Daniel? Yeah, I think... Obviously, the two descriptors that are given in this statement, um, God the Father Almighty and then maker of heaven and earth. Um, the the part, this is like the shortest statement about mm-hmm. like out of the three that we're looking at. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's so like, I want so much more from this. Like, <laughs> Talk more about who God is, um, who God the Father is. Um, but I think... The specificity here, um, God the Father Almighty, that our God is a God who, like, has all power, and there's no one greater than him. Mm. Um, There's no one greater, and um, he is the maker of heaven and earth. And I think that's, like, that's something that we can really kind of get hung up on, Mm. like, looking in depth and trying to create divisions on like what we believe about maker of heaven and earth. Hmm. And I think I, I doubt when this was written that there was any debates on that, on hmm. like creation and all of that. Sure. But I think this is a good reminder that God is the God who made everything that we have here, hmm. uh, regardless of, how or what you believe that looks like he is the maker of heaven and earth. Hmm. Um, and there's no one who is above, above that. He has that, um, the top spot. Hmm. He's God. Why does it matter? And, and I want to open that up to the, the whole table is, uh, and I know Scott, you've read, uh, recently delighting in the Trinity, which would talk a little bit about this, but why does it matter that, you know, that we define God the Father as God the Father. Like, why can't we just have, like, God and God's Son and then the Holy Spirit? 
Like, why do we need to have in his very nature, God, the father defined as father? How else would you define him? Well, we could go with creator. Nope. Why not? Because then his identity is dependent on the creation, which didn't yeah. exist for eternity past. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not enough. You could go with the guy who runs everything. What is he running for eternity past? Uh, for eternity past, yeah. before creation? Yeah. Apparently nothing. Right. So that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So why is he a father? Because he loves the son. For eternity past. For eternity past. In my mind, that's like one of the most important distinctions to make about about God the Father. Um, because it's not like there was God and everything was, you know, it was going well. And then he was like, here's my son. Surprise. It's like, no, from the beginning. There's, and it's, and, and uh, you know, Jesus was not a God and he was not, you know, he did not become God's son, as, as some people will argue. Um, but it's that from day one, there was the second person of God and that person was the the son of God. Scott, you were talking a little bit about uh, the description of, of Jesus Christ. Sure um, I, I want to, <laughs> before you jump in with your lengthy prepared remarks, um, I want to ask uh, for a little bit of clarification on something that, that we brought up, uh, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, um, about uh, from this book about angels um, that you have been reading about, like the the plausibility of of uh, the angel of death in Egypt being the second person of according to Michael Heisner, it's not an issue of plausibility. It is right, <laughs> <laughs> um, and not without jumping into that deep theological question. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the ways that that one of the things we said is that Jesus is the incarnation, the physical incarnation yeah. of the second person of the Trinity. Right? right. So he was still the Son before being physically present on Earth, before being physically incarnated. Right. Why does that matter? He wouldn't really be God otherwise. Mm, why not? Well, are you saying he was he? Not he was still the son in the sense that, like, he still existed, but he was still the son in the sense that that was still his identity. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it kind of is the, the same question as the father. Hmm. Um, of what else would he be? Yeah, kind of. And like, and even after, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say, like, well, he's, if you weren't holding to that, you could say, like, he became the son because he was born. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems like kind of a weak reason for his identity as a divine being to be the son of because he was born. It's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, why isn't he just like God the man then? Mm-hmm. Or like God the Jew. We're like, <laughs> right. That seems like kind of arbitrary. But no, his his sonship is is baked into his identity, and it reflects, I think, a. I mean, we see this in in Jesus' life, a, a an astounding submission to the father and also a, a glorification of the father. Like that's, that's the son. Like that's what the son does. Yeah. Is he, he like is loved by submits to and glorifies the father. Mm. So tell me a little bit about the words, word choice that takes place in the apostles creed when it comes to Jesus. Like what jumps out to you is sure sort of cutting off, cutting things off of the past in some cases. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you, you're emphasizing word choice so much. Cause I don't have the printed copy that we had last week. I looked it up online. I'm looking at a version from the Christian reformed church and it's, it's the same, but there's like 
little words are are slightly different. Like mm. all the important words are the same, except for judge the the quick and the dead. It says here judge the living and the dead, which is more of a you know, I'd say a current way of, of phrasing that. But right. um but it's just the the phrasing is just slightly different, which I thought was interesting. But um anyway, um I would say looking at this right now, I mean I'll just read it real quick. Well, not real quick, because it's like the longest part. But it says, <laughs> I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Um, so that's that's the whole thing. And there's a lot there that's like pretty... Um, I mean, it's foundational to the Christian faith, especially the second two-thirds, I guess. You know, he's crucified, died, buried, rose again. Obviously, that's critical. Ascended to heaven, a seat at the right hand, and then is coming back. Um, so to kind of rope in some, like, alliance doctrine there, you see, you know, the Christ, the coming king, is is important uh it's it's um it's really important that jesus is coming back if he doesn't come back then i don't know there's a lot of implications (laughs) what are we doing here um right um but uh i guess if he didn't come back then the implication one of the most significant implications is that this world doesn't really matter because assuming he still died and rose again and ascended then there's still probably a means for some kind of spiritual salvation right. but no real significance on the on the world end of things it's sort of like god just gave it up for lost yeah which he doesn't do anyway um so there's a lot of kind of like foundational stuff there that's important but one of the things that i was just kind of struck by here is like why does it reference pontius pilate hmm. that's so i mean obviously not but like kind of insignificant like who cares um, the important part is that he suffered, crucified, died, and was buried. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if we're, if we're really focusing on an economy of words here, which we kind of are, because it's probably only like 70 words or something for the whole thing, then why would they reference that? And I don't know the answer for sure. Um, I realized after we finished talking about the history that right underneath there's a little background thing, and it says, uh, in its present form is dated no later than the fourth century. Um, wow. so it's at least that old, um, and I wonder, you know, if the reference to Pontius Pilate is is like a historical grounding of mm-hmm. the thing. Bill mentioned this a week or two ago, I think. Yeah. Just the historical nature of the Christian faith as as compared to probably Christian science. That's probably what we were talking <laughs> yeah. about. Um, and it's interesting, you know, three, four hundred years, give or take, is still a long time after Pontius Pilate. But mm-hmm. it also says that um, translation of the Latin text... Uh, so if we're looking at the fourth century, if it's in Latin, then presumably this was still, you know, part of the, you know, Roman emperor empire, Roman um, culture. Yeah. And so maybe Pontius Pilate was a somewhat known name. Mm. Could be. Uh, I don't know that for sure. Uh, maybe he was known enough that referencing him, you know, again, kind of has a historical grounding. You know, maybe it would be because it's obviously been a couple of years here, but like. You know, William Bradford, that's 400 years ago, yeah. uh, the, the governor of Plymouth. Um, it's like maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of, uh, he was, maybe he was well known enough that they were referencing that as part of, you know, like this is when and where, you know, it's kind of like let the reader understand it was at this time in this area. Right. Um, 
No, I don't know, but if it's, I, I have to imagine it's something like that because sure. otherwise, including Pontius Pilate's <clears throat> name, just seems yeah rude. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of weird because it's like yeah, he was suffering under Pontius Pilate, but Pilate certainly didn't. You know, his hands weren't clean, ironically. Yeah. Um, but, like, he also doesn't seem to be, like, the most at fault in terms of the sure. crucifixion. Like, there definitely seem to be other parties that would be more worth naming. So it's just interesting that they reference him specifically. Yeah. Well, I do think it keeps you from historically sliding um, in, you know, plus or minus 100 years, right? Especially yeah. since there had been a handful of, of Jews who had sort of thought that they could be the Messiah, be the the military leader that was going to lead the rebellion from underneath, including the including Barabbas, right? The guy that Jesus gets traded for. Mm. Um, and so I think that helps really ground like, hey, this is, you know, we're not talking about that guy from 100 years earlier or we're not talking about the guy that yeah. came in like the second century or whatever. Like, you right. know, if you're potential messiah if your candidate for messiah didn't suffer under pontius Pilate, like that's not who we're talking about yeah um bill you you talk often about and i know you're you're texting right now so no that's fine i'm, I'm just writing when was the apostle creed written um you talk a lot about the historical the the importance of the historicity of <laughs> the word uh, sure of the bible and of the christian faith why does it matter to have a, a historical grounding? What does it gain you as a, as a believer? Well, it keeps everything from being so ephemeral. Hmm. When you're grounded in history, now you've got real evidence for why you believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. If everything is just in somebody's thought experiment, you don't really have much. Mm-hmm. So it's fantastic that... You can go to Israel, you can see the places where all these events took place and that they have dug up archaeological items that say, see, this was real. Hmm. It, that's, that's what I need. I, hmm. I do not want to just get sucked into somebody's thoughts. Hmm. Yeah, true. I was saying, like, if, if the whole Bible was like one of the prophets... That was just like the whole thing. Yeah. And there was nothing concrete. It was just like a lot. I mean, because that's kind of like what, you know, like the Book of Mormon is. Sure. For example. It's, it's just, a lot like Daniel. It's just like Joseph Smith's fever trip, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, but like, it's just, I mean, and we have examples of that kind of literature in the Bible, you know, with apocalyptic literature and, and very symbolic. But like, if that was the whole thing and there was no historical grounding. Sure. It'd be like, yeah, some people would probably still believe it. Maybe a lot of people would believe it, but like. How is that, like, what Bill, how is there any evidence that this is true right. um, compared to that guy's mm-hmm. prophecy or, you know, yeah. or the Book of Mormon for that, for that matter? Yeah. Like, the Book of Mormon makes a lot of historical claims that have no grounding and no evidence. Hmm. Um, and, like, and unfortunately, that hasn't stopped them from being at least reasonably successful as a, as a religion, but... Hmm. It should call into question when there's there when it makes historical claims that just are not backed up at all. Yeah, um, it's like why should I believe your claims on the nature of humanity or God when the things that are easy to, easy to get right are wrong or at least not supported? Yeah, yeah, because 
<clears throat> a lot of the creeds were written because um, because there was a lot of heresy in the church. Right. It was so each one of these statements that's included about who Jesus is is specifically targeted at a heresy. <laughs> it's, mm. it's pretty much like response to like the correct the yeah. correct teaching. Yeah. Mm. Um. So th- from reading from reading the Apostles' Creed, we're able to see like what they were going against, mm-hmm. um, which is, oh, I mean, even with some of Paul's letters, that's what, yeah. like, we, he's responding and, to stuff, yeah. and we don't have the documents that he was responding to, but we can kind of guess <laughs> what he was responding about based on, um, on, what, based he on what he says. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that about 2 Corinthians, is that he, A, references his first letter, mm-hmm. and B, he's like, Clearly, they had these counter arguments of like, what if this is okay under these circumstances? What if this is okay under these circumstances? He's mm-hmm. like, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know what their argument was, but we know that Paul didn't respect it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, it is funny that now, if you know, when we read the Apostles' Creed, you know, corporately, I will think I've never thought about the suffered under Pontius Pilate piece, but there was clearly somebody in the fourth century who was really upset when they wrote that in. And they were like, wow, I feel very targeted. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> going against my Pontius Pilate theory, I see. <laughs> or like, um, but I think, but it does really nail it down. And especially when you think about, yeah, like you can't say that Jesus came before the Romans. Because of this. I mean, also because of the Bible, but like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but that's really interesting. I think it's also interesting because Pontius, uh, or looking, reading a lot of the Old Testament, um, God uses like different nations to attack Israel. Right. Um, but or, then, or like, free Israel. Yeah, or free Israel. Like Cyrus. Yeah. And then we see that God's like, just because, like, Oh, I can't remember. I think it's in Isaiah. We we're talking about an axe. Like, um, mm. do you do you glorify the person, the the axe, or like mm, or the, the person who's wielding it? Wielding it? Uh. Um, and that's that's at least the image that's coming to mind. And God basically saying, like, I'm using this nation mm. to carry out my justice. But in this situation with Jesus, like Pontius Pilate, he. he 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 played a key role. Yes, he made decisions that led to Jesus's um, his death and his resurrection. But it was it was under Pontius Pilate. It wasn't because of Pontius Pilate, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like these were all things that God has orchestrated. Right. Um, Jesus's suffering was orchestrated. So that he would pay the penalty for all of our sins. Yeah. Um, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate, connects it to history, but it's also not, it's not all in the weight of Pontius Pilate. And it's not like he's not now like this person we should look back to and be like, oh, this person played a huge role in history and prop mm. him up. Right. Super high because it's all God's plan. Yeah. Bill. Talk to us about the Holy Spirit. There's not as much here about the Holy Spirit. It begins in the third line, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, meaning Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I like that because it's coming from Luke 1. Mary asks a very honest question of the angel Gabriel. 
who's just announced, you are going to bring about the Messiah. And she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And I love that because she's saying, I am a virgin and I'm not giving up my virginity (laughs) for something um, that's wicked. Yeah. Yeah. And then he assures her, no, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. You will conceive and bear a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So I'm glad, because, but there it is again. Here's the Holy Spirit in coming into mm-hmm. the realm of history. Yeah. And then a few lines later, it simply says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> All right, me too. <laughs> so I look at that and I think, I believe. It's a present active. Yeah. I believe in him now. I believe in him tomorrow. I, I, I'm experiencing the Holy Ghost. Sure. And that's why I believe in him, is he is doing something. He's done great things, but he's doing something in the here and now. Hmm. They don't say a whole lot in this creed about the Holy Spirit, but what they do say is really good. Why does the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit get so little screen time? I mean, I feel like most of the time... The Holy Spirit is always like the afterthought. And I think you said last week, yeah. like we think of it as the lowest one because it's, we say we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit is kind of like this afterthought that's like, yeah, you know, it's the it's the jello that the fruit is really floating in. Like, you know, it's just, it's the filler that holds the rest of the Trinity together. Yes. And the more I learn about the Holy Spirit, the more I can see this is so wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I may have mentioned this before, but this is something that's really stayed with me. Dennis Kinlaw wrote a book about, I think it's called The Layman's Guide to the Holy Spirit. And he has a chart and he shows that the Holy Spirit is mentioned one third of the time before the Father and the Son right. are mentioned together. And the Father's mentioned one-third of the time first, and the Son's mentioned one-third of the time. The scriptures are real meticulous about making sure that there's an evenness there. Right. Mm -hmm. Now that I've been teaching this class on the Holy Spirit, I've been awakened to where you see the Holy Spirit a lot more in the Old Testament than I realized. Mm. And this has come about because of especially A.B. Simpson's writing on the Holy Spirit, power from on high. It's a commentary on the Holy Spirit that's roughly 600 pages long. And it starts in Genesis, goes all the way to Revelation. But the Old Testament part of it is what really captured me because he had a section on the emblems of the Holy Spirit. So we're used to seeing typology with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has typology too, and it's in words such as, Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Fire is a symbol. Wind is a symbol. So it's pretty neat. You get into things like the uh, children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea. So you've got water. You've got the wind blowing the water to stack it all up. I think pretty cool. You've got the fiery the pillar of fire 
moving in behind the Israelites to keep the Egyptians from coming after mm, them. Yeah. And then at a certain point, the Israelites have all crossed the Red Sea. The pillar of fire steps out of the way. The Egyptians go rushing in, and they're drowned. Um, so that makes me stop and say, okay, I've never heard anybody speak to the Holy Spirit is very involved in this miracle. Mm. But when you see the typology, you say, the Holy Spirit's very involved in this miracle. This, yeah. this isn't... We give a lot of credit to Moses and his staff, and uh, <laughs> really, <laughs> just a, kind of a sideline there. Uh, it, the, the, the main actor is the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Also, Dang. like if you're wanting to look at language... Ooh. Um, are you going to talk there, about the Holy Catholic Church? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could. Um, just for clarification purposes. It is a little C Catholic Church. It is a little C Catholic. I mean, it's not like it's the not, Roman Catholic. Are you sure? Yes, it says Holy Catholic, not <laughs> Roman Catholic. <laughs> um, but there are only three, I believe, statements Ooh. in the Apostles' Creed. Um, I believe in God the Father. Right. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I believe... A holy Catholic Church. Yeah. So I think with like how we read it, it's like really short. Yeah. But like it, it's we could be oh, it's just a transition piece from talking to Jesus to talking about the Holy Ghost and like mentioning it and move on. Yeah. If it was a transition piece, then like there would only be another I believe in the hmm. Holy Ghost, and then talk about the Holy Catholic and like start the listing off. But right. it's a separate, whole separate like line there hmm. like bringing emphasis to the holy ghost obviously they they didn't like dive deep into explaining the holy ghosts um which is too bad which is too bad but um scripture really helps with that <laughs> and the apostles creed isn't meant to replace scripture that's right so um so i think that's an important mm. notice we can talk about the catholic church yeah the, the holy catholic church but that's what Hmm. That what was words. Um, <laughs> that's what stood out to me um, when it came to the line about the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Nowadays, some creeds say, I believe in the universal church. That's mm -hmm. even weirder to me. Well, but I, I <laughs> can see why they do church. that. Because when our church would do the Apostles' Creed, which we haven't done in a long time. Sure. When we did... Every time it seemed like somebody would come up to me and say, what's this doing in here? Holy Catholic Church. And it was because they were a disaffected Catholic. And sure. thinking, what have mm -hmm. I gotten myself into? What, what are you guys? Is this another kind of weirdo group? <laughs> well, so, yes, so then I tried my best to explain to them in less than a minute while there's all this noise in the lobby what that's about. And I could tell I never said anything that satisfied anybody. It was just mm. like... This is weird. I'm, I'm not sure I want to come back. Yeah. So I would say, can we knock that off? And, you know, can we, yeah. can we just knock it off? Because this is just creating problems. It's, mm -hmm. it's not edifying. It's creating problems. Right. And so then they went with a modified version of the Apostles' Creed. And, but that word Catholic just sets people off. Man, yeah. They are ready to fight when they see that word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one unified church. I'm trying to remember. There's usually like a little asterisk 
I'm going to see. Yeah, one. you're right. I, I, I want to find Sometimes it. Sometimes that happens. There's an yeah. in this one. What does it say? It says that is the true Christian church of all times and all places. Nice. Mm. I wonder what the word Catholic means. I think it means like universal. Yeah, universal. It does. Catholic means yes. universal. Yeah. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. And I also like to say, Bloomingdale Church, not a weird place. Just full of weird people. Yes. <laughs> Amen to that. We're not a weird institution. But the church is the people. But the p- <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, trivia quizzes, and your weird people to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Um, I was going to, for our closing segment, I was going to have somebody explain the Catholic Church thing, but we took that away. So, <laughs> Scott... Do you know? Well, actually, Bill, do you know what they're having for dinner tonight at Alpha? Yes. What is it? Part of it is barbecue meatballs. Whoa. Can I come? Sure. All right. (laughs) Listeners, (laughs) that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank Thank you, Max. Bill, take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. There's a street sign in Wheaton I've had my eyes on for years. It's Mackenzie Place. Oh, yeah. Scott Street down there. Yeah, but nobody cares about that. Nobody (laughs) <laughs> some, some people care. <laughs> Daniel, take a side. Daniel was trying to be mean, but then, he just know, came. that was too mean. I got yeah, yeah. to You're really, you're, you fill in well for Dan Marcello. You try to be mean, and then you're like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I'm so sorry, yeah.